We're not giving states the money they need, and we're waging, or the president's waging a massive disinformation campaign against mail voting. And that's just going to increase the chances of major disenfranchisement in November. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Can the presidential election of 2020 be rigged or stolen? Will voter suppression affect the outcome? Are mail-in ballots subject to fraud? Here to talk about this is Ari Berman, a senior reporter at Mother Jones covering voting rights. He's the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. His stories have also appeared in the New York Times, Rolling Stone, and The Guardian, and he's a frequent guest on MSNBC and NPR. Ari Berman, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Hey, David. Thank you for having me. At the Republican National Convention this week, President Trump told party delegates, quote, the only way they can take this election away from us is if this is a rigged election. What's your concern about what Trump is saying here? My concern is that President Trump is laying the groundwork to not accept the results of the 2020 election if he loses, uh, that he is spreading false claims of voter fraud to give credence to efforts to make it harder to vote. His campaign is litigating in, I think, 17 different states right now to make it harder for people to vote, particularly to make it harder for people to vote by mail uh, during a pandemic. Uh, So I'm very concerned that we're already seeing efforts from the president and the Republican Party to make it harder to vote. And then if those efforts don't succeed, then they may just say, well, the entire vote was fraudulent, so let's not accept the results. And the president himself doesn't have the power to not accept results, but a lot of the key states are controlled by Republicans, either Republican legislatures and Republican secretaries of state, and they could potentially take their cues from the president. Meanwhile, some of these disputes go to the courts where people that were appointed by President Trump could hear the disputes. So there's a lot of things I'm concerned about right now. Well, let's talk about uh, one of the things in the headlines in the last few weeks is what's going on with the U.S. Postal Service. Uh, So the new Postmaster General, Louis DeJoy, has slashed overtime hours for postal workers, and he's removed over 600 high-speed mail sorting machines around the country. But uh, you are pointing out in your uh, Twitter feed that this is not random. Explain where these machines are being removed from. Well, the machines are being removed from all across the country. Uh, But what's disturbing to me in particular is that a lot of the machines have been removed in swing states, that over 250 mail sorting machines have been removed in 11 key swing states. So there's been a lot of machines removed in states like Florida and Ohio and Pennsylvania that are going to be central to the 2020 elections. The highest number of machines have been removed in California, uh, which is obviously not a swing state, although a state with a lot of important races nonetheless. Um, But if you look at the data, there have been a lot of machines removed in really important states that are going to see a huge expansion of mail-in voting. And what the Postmaster General Louis DeJoy said is that he is going to reverse, at least temporarily, some of the changes he made but he is not going to reinstall the removed machines. So those 600 plus sorting machines that have already been removed, including more than 250 in key swing states, 
those are not going to go back into operation before the 2020 election. And that just makes me really concerned that these mail delays we are seeing are going to continue in spite of what the Postmaster General is claiming. So let's talk about vote by mail, because there is now so much confusion around it uh, as a result of President Trump's attacks on it. So 16 top Trump administration officials vote by mail, including President Trump, Vice President Pence. What is the distinction between what Trump does and what he's warning will corrupt the election everywhere else? I think the distinction that the president is trying to make is that it's fine if you individually request an absentee ballot, but what states shouldn't be doing is sending ballots to all registered voters. Now, I think in practice, what he's afraid of is people voting by mail, mail period. And I don't think he really cares how people vote by mail uh, because obviously himself and 15 members of his inner circle have voted by mail. Meanwhile, um, Republicans were the one who pushed voting by mail for so long in states like Florida and Arizona. So vote by mail for many years was actually something that Republicans were pushing more than Democrats. Um, The irony here is that the very thing that President Trump is worrying about is what works the best. So in fact, what states like Oregon and Washington do is they mail ballots to all registered voters. And President Trump is trying to make it seem like ballots are just being mailed randomly (laughs) to every person. But in fact, what they're doing is they're mailing ballots to every registered voters, which means that the people that need the ballots are getting them. And this is the simplest way to do vote by mail is tell every registered voter you can get a ballot and make sure that they can track it and make sure there's security features in place. Uh, That's the way that vote by mail increases turnout the most. So states like Oregon and Washington have been doing this for a very long time. They haven't been having major problems with vote by mail. And I think the president uh, is concerned that Democrats are going to use vote by mail in larger numbers than Republicans. The polls show that. And that's why he's launched a crusade against it. Is there any evidence to show that vote by mail favors one party over the other? No. The, the parties used vote by mail equally in 2016. The parties used vote by mail equally in 2018. I think what disturbed President Trump is that there was a huge increase in vote by mail in the primaries, particularly among Democrats who are taking coronavirus more seriously than Republicans in many places. And so that has alarmed President Trump and his team that there's going to be this big advantage when it comes to mail-in ballots among Democrats versus Republicans. But that's not because vote by mail inherently favors one party or another. That's just because Democrats are taking coronavirus more seriously than Republicans, and they're deciding they want to vote by mail compared to voting in person because they don't want to put their health on the line when they vote. How much concern do you have about, so you mentioned there are states like Oregon and Washington that have been voting by mail, uh, all voting by mail. Uh, I think there's five states that are universal vote by mail. But many of the states that are ramping up vote by mail have not done it on that scale before. What are your concerns about that? I am concerned about vote by mail, but I have very different concerns than the president does. My concern is that states are not prepared for this and voters are not prepared for this. And in the primary so far, we've already seen over 500,000 mail ballots rejected during the primaries, which is larger than the entire number of rejected mail ballots in 2016, uh, and when there was much lower turnout in the primaries than in the general election. So I'm concerned that people don't understand all the rules of mail ballots, 
They don't understand that you have to sign your ballot and they don't have to sign, understand that your ballot can be thrown out for mismatched signatures in many states. They don't understand that your ballot can be rejected if it arrives late, even if you send it what you think is uh, well ahead of time. And so there's a lot of rules for mail voting. And I think people really need to understand what those rules are. Um, a lot of states don't make it easy to vote by mail. In some states, you can't request an absentee ballot online. In some states, you can't track your ballot. In many, many states, including almost all the swing states, your ballot actually has to be received by election day, not postmarked by election day. That's where the mail delays we're seeing could have a very big impact. If the rule was that your ballot just had to be postmarked by election day, I don't think people would be that concerned about what we're seeing with the post office. But the fact that voters actually have to have their ballot accepted by election day, that makes people nervous that what if I send my ballot back a week beforehand or request it a week beforehand, which you can do in some states, will they get it in time? So people have to be very proactive when they vote by mail. And basically what I'm telling people is if you're able to request your ballot early, send it back early and fill it out carefully, you should vote by mail. But if you're confused by the process, you should vote in person and try to do it early when there's shorter lines. It's much simpler, quite frankly, to vote in person than it is to vote by mail. And you actually actually have the certainty of seeing your ballot be counted compared to vote by mail. Where there's just a lot of unknowns in terms of the process. So this is a very nuanced message that you're communicating here, um, which is a vote by mail except. And it does, it is something that we're hearing nationally that uh, people concerned, you know, with voting rights experts now saying two things need to happen. Uh, we need a lot of people to vote, but there also needs to be a, an unambiguous result on election day itself, because we've always been accustomed to those, you know, election night, uh, watching TV and seeing the results come in and that there needs to be an, uh, an overwhelming uh, and decisive decision that night so that Trump can't, as he said at the convention, uh, declare that this is rigged, you know, and, and have the situation where uh, one person wins on election day and it's overturned when mail-in votes are counted. Uh, talk about that scenario and how important you think it is that people do turn out in large numbers at polling places as well. I think it's very unlikely, unless it's a landslide, that we're going to know who won on election night. And I think we need to recalibrate our expectations here. And I think all of the major government institutions, particularly all of the local officials running elections state by state, need to make it clear that if we don't have results on election night, that doesn't mean that the results are going to be fraudulent. And that just because one candidate is up on election night, we need to wait for all the votes to be counted before we declare a winner. And it's absolutely true that President Trump is gonna to try to weaponize this situation. If more Republicans vote in person and more Democrats vote by mail, that means that Republican votes can be counted sooner than Democratic votes. And the, the, the issue is President Trump doesn't control the counting of the votes. Counting of the votes happen state by state. And it's incumbent on the state officials to reject whatever the president is going to say and to say, we're not declaring any sort of winner until we count all the votes. And the media needs to start saying, we are not going to have our flashy election night banners and lead people to believe that we're going to know who won if in fact we don't know. Because in a lot of key states, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, they can't begin counting mail ballots until election day. 
meaning that there's no way, if there's a huge number of mail ballots, that we're going to know on election day, most likely, who the winner is if you're counting all the votes by mail. So I think, I think it's more important to recalibrate our expectations than to say we need to know who won on election day. But I think at the same time, Democrats need to be mindful of the fact that votes cast by mail are more likely to be rejected than votes cast in person. And in many cases, they take longer to count. So if you're worried about your vote being rejected, and if you're worried about the president weaponizing mail voting, one thing you can do is vote in person. And what I'm saying is that I think in most states, if you vote in person early, during early voting, because more than 40 states have early voting, there's not going to be long lines. You can do it safely, and you can have the certainty that your vote will be counted. Isn't part of the voter suppression strategies that have been implemented of late include closing that early voting window? Yes, uh, in, in some places, although most states are going to have robust early voting. The thing I'm most concerned about when it comes to in-person voting is where there'll be enough polling places. That was something we saw throughout the primaries, both because of intentional voter suppression and also because uh, places just couldn't recruit enough poll workers. Uh, and, and so there are states like Georgia that have been closing polling places for a long time and continue to do so. Then there are states that haven't been closing polling places, but they just couldn't recruit enough poll workers and they had to do so um, whether they wanted to or not. And so that was a theme throughout the primaries. Uh, and we need younger people to volunteer as poll workers. Uh, for example, in Michigan, the Secretary of State just said they're down 1,000 or 2,000 poll workers in Detroit. So younger people need to volunteer as poll workers. And I think this is a really important message to get out there. The majority of poll workers are over 60. They're in a high-risk group. So if you want to vote in person or you want others to have the ability to vote in person, you have to volunteer to be a poll worker uh, because otherwise there just might not be enough people out there. And so it, it's kind of happening on both fronts, David, where um, vote by mail is under attack from the president and just in general uh, is a more difficult way of voting than in person. But in-person voting is also subject uh, to some real uh, limits, particularly whether or not we're gonna have enough polling places and enough poll workers to staff those polling locations. So if you're just joining us, we're talking with journalist Ari Berman. He's a reporter for Mother Jones and an expert on voting rights and voter suppression. Let's just talk about the voter suppression and kind of the brief history of it. Can you give an example of a place where voter suppression affected the outcome of an election? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the best examples um, was in Georgia uh, during the 2018 election where the Republican candidate for governor, um, Brian Kemp, <clears throat> was also uh, the Secretary of State, and he was running against Stacey Abrams, who was trying to become the first black woman governor in US history. And he put in place a, a ton of different uh, voting laws that make it harder, particularly for Democrats and particularly voters of color, uh, voters of color to be able to vote. So uh, they put over 50,000 people, 80% of whom were voters of color, on a suspended voter registration list before the election, which led to an incredible uh, amount of confusion. Uh, Brian Kemp, in conjunction with counties in Georgia, closed over 200 polling places, uh, many in uh, majority black areas. So there were five hour lines in majority black precincts on election day, uh, but almost no lines in uh, white areas. Uh, 
he accused uh, Stacey Abrams and Democrats of trying to hack into the state's voter registration database 48 hours before the election, when in fact, Brian Kemp was being investigated by the FBI for not securing the registration database. So there's just one thing after another in that state uh, that had a huge outcome. And uh, Stacey Abrams came very, very close to, uh, to forcing a runoff against Kemp uh, within 20,000 votes. And you could easily argue that all of the suppression put together impacted many more votes than that. For example, the Atlanta General Constitution reported that closing those 200 polling places led to about 50 to 80,000 people not voting because they were so confused as to uh, where their new voting location would be or they had to travel longer distances and were unable to. So these kind of things have a big impact on the election, uh, how easy it is to register to vote, uh, where your polling places or whether your polling places have been closed, uh, the rules for how your votes are counted, and then of course, who's overseeing the election in the first place. It just the brazenness of the Georgia story is breathtaking. I mean, to put it in sports terms, it's as if in a basketball game, a player is fouled and uh, the player who is accused of fouling, let's say is Brian Kemp, who then dons a striped referee jersey and the appeal, and he gets to decide whether he has fouled in, say, the final minutes of the game to determine the outcome of the game. And then he takes off the striped jersey and gets back in the game and you continue to play. Um, it, it, this is a level that uh, I don't know when we've seen. Yeah, I mean, and so you'd think that after that kind of thing occurred in, in 2018, you know, we would say this can't happen again. But of course, during the primaries, once again in Georgia, we saw five, six hour lines to vote uh, in heavily black neighborhoods. And the worry here is that there are both uh, states that have a long history of making it harder to vote, like in Georgia. But because of the pandemic, voting is more difficult everywhere. If you talk to election officials ev anywhere in any state, um, they're under unprecedented stress. Whether And they're really asking two questions. Will we have the capacity to handle this massive increase in vote by mail that we're going to see in many states? Will voters understand the rules? Uh, and if not, are we going to see major disenfranchisement like we saw during the primaries? And number two, can we handle in-person voting like we've done in the past? Will we be able to enough, recruit enough poll workers? Will we be able to open up polling sites? Uh, will it be safe? Um, that's what states are wrestling with right now. And that alone is, is difficult enough without the president pretty much every single day on Twitter and in his speeches, uh, delegitimizing how we vote and also trying to destroy institutions like the post office that are fundamental in terms of delivering and receiving ballots. And because the president is on a daily tirade, as you note, against voting, talking about the numerous ways that voter fraud could occur, can you just, for the record, talk about how common is voter fraud? Voter fraud is very rare in American elections. It occurs on a very limited basis. Uh, when it does occur, it's usually caught, uh, and it rarely, if ever, uh, swings the outcome of an election. Uh, there was a major study by the Heritage Foundation, which is a very conservative group, a supporter of President Trump. They only found 143 criminal convictions of 
mail-in ballot fraud over the last 20 years, which equals out to 0.006%. The the Trump campaign recently was involved in a lawsuit in Pennsylvania where they tried to litigate against drop boxes for mail voting, um, which is just totally insane. Uh, And a federal court asked them, give us your evidence for uh, mail ballot fraud that would lead you to not need things like drop boxes. And the Trump campaign couldn't give a single instance of mail-in ballot fraud in court in a 524-page document. And so this is all just rhetoric. Um, that And what the president is seizing on is the problems with mail voting that happened not because of voter fraud in the primaries, but happened because states were not prepared. Uh, for mail voting, uh, and voters didn't understand the rules. So the, the, the solution to that is give the states more money so that they can prepare better for the elections and educate voters about the rules for mail voting. Well, in fact, we're doing the opposite. We're not giving states the money they need, and we're waging, or the president's waging a massive disinformation campaign against mail voting. And that's just going to increase the chances of major disenfranchisement in November, particularly among uh, Democrats and communities of color, because those are the people that the president wants to try to keep from voting. So uh, about a week ago, uh, President Trump threatened to deploy armed police and armed agents to polling places. Talk about the history of this tactic. This is not new. There's a history of doing this, um, both historically and and not too long ago. Uh, The Republican Party in the early 1980s in New Jersey actually used uh, armed uh, off-duty cops to man the polls in uh, Black and Hispanic voting precincts in New Jersey. Uh, And there was a lawsuit filed against this, and the Republican Party was prevented from doing these kind of quote-unquote ballot security operations uh, for almost 30 years. And it was just recently, um, in 2018, that consent decree against the Republican Party expired and allowed them to do this kind of ballot security work in the future. Now, I think it's important to make clear that it is still illegal to send federal troops or to send armed forces to monitor the polls. And in fact, President Trump's own Department of Homeland Security Secretary just said, we don't have the authority to do this. And it seems like um, the the president um, is, not the president, but it seems like the president's team is backtracking um, from this. However, the Republican Party says they're going to deploy 50,000 poll workers in November. Uh, Conservative groups have said they're gonna try to put um, Navy SEALs um, off-duty uh, cops uh, in what they called inner-city polling locations. So there's still a, a big chance that there could be challenges to people's voting rights uh, at the polls. And, and that's why it's so ridiculous when I hear uh, President Trump and others say, well, if you can protest in person, you could vote in person, because they're waging a deliberate attempt to make it harder to vote in person, too, uh, by closing polling places and then trying to put poll watchers at those polling locations that remain. And, and that's why I think it's, it's not about whether they favor one form of voting or another. Uh, they just don't want Democrats and Democratic-leaning constituencies to vote in the first place. And they're gonna attack any method of voting that those constituencies tend to use. What is your biggest concern, maybe your worst case scenario for what's gonna happen in the November presidential election? 
my worst case scenario is that the vote is very close uh, in key states, that there's major litigation uh, around it, that uh, the president uh, prematurely declares victory and seeks to invalidate uh, the uh, votes that are disproportionately cast by Democrats, and that we have a, an electoral crisis. Uh, and uh, my biggest fear is that there's some sort of Bush v. Gore redux, where it's very, very close, uh, but instead of counting all the ballots, the Republican-dominated Supreme Court cuts the, the vote counting short and installs Donald Trump in a second term. And the worry here is that the Supreme Court's already done this in the 2000 election in Florida, but the pandemic makes it so much more likely that we're going to have a disputed election outcome that one side in particular refuses to accept. It's almost inevitability if it's not a landslide, there's gonna be huge fights over the counting of ballots, huge fights over the legitimacy of the election, and a very, very good chance that the courts, not the American people, end up deciding this. So that, that's what I'm really, really uh, concerned about. And that's why I'm trying to warn people as much as possible uh, to try to make a plan to vote and to try to figure out how to do so well ahead of time to lessen the chance that there's some sort of crazy uh, post-election dispute that leads to a widespread uh, democratic crisis. Okay, well, Ari Berman, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thanks so much for having me, David. Ari Berman is a senior reporter at Mother Jones covering voting rights. He's the author of Give Us the Ballot, The Modern Struggle for Voting Rights in America. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening.